Welcome to the Craftsman Coding Podcast. This episode is titled This Business of Development. This is part two. Uh, I'm Everett Fireproof Socks, and my guest today is Harold Laufer, an attorney who's been kind enough to speak with us about some of the legal issues that come up in the business of development. Hi, Everett. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you today? Good, thanks. Good. So I've gotten a lot of questions as a developer or been in a fair number of situations where I've added to my war chest war stories of uh, contracts or projects that went bad. And as I've done this over time, I've felt the need to tighten up my contract. And and that's how I met you, you being a lawyer who can help with such things. And the thought that came into my head is that this is something that a lot of people in my situation deal with or need to deal with at some point sooner or later in their career as a developer. So uh, I guess right off the bat, one of the topics is what do you see uh, as for contractors, particularly developers, that they can do to tighten up the language in their contracts? How important is a contract? What happens if you don't do a contract? What kind of trouble can you get in if your contract is uh, not honored or you forgot to do it? There's a whole whole uh, uh, can that, of worms that, there. That's a lot of questions. It is. It is. Well, let me... Um let me just kind of dive in somewhere, and you can uh, direct if, if, if you have a particular aspect of it that you're interested in. Um, you know, if you are a custom development house and you have 100 employees and you are uh, doing really expensive, significant custom development jobs you're going to have very sophisticated contracts because the work you're doing is very sophisticated and there's a lot of money involved. Uh, if you go to the other end of the spectrum, you have individual uh, engineers and designers and developers who really, you know, they're, they're basically self-employed. They're not really running a company, although they kind of are. Um, and they either don't have the knowledge or they really don't want to be bothered or the reality is they're just not in the kind of business where you're going to have a two, three, four, ten page contract. It's more um, a relationship, handship kind of uh, situation. So it really sort of depends, you know, where you are. I'm, I'm not a lawyer that... Uh, is automatically going to say that you have to have some really 30-paragraph contract because I don't think that's reality and I don't think that's the real world in terms of how most people deal it. It sort of depends, you know, what sphere you're in and, and how complicated um, your business is. Now, that being said, a um, couple of other kind of just initial thoughts uh, you know, you can have the greatest contract in the world, but if a problem becomes evident in the course of developing or working through a project, um, you know, the answer isn't always to pick up the contract and throw it in somebody's face and say, you better do this or pay me or take care of that or I'm going to sue you because uh, going to court is a very expensive, difficult, unpleasant um, proposition. So uh, 
you know, having the contract does not necessarily mean there's going to be a lawsuit involved if there's a problem. But having a contract that at least has certain basic things in it is going to give you some talking points and some leverage uh, when you have a dispute and, and you're trying to resolve it. Um, you know, if somebody is intent on screwing you, I don't really care what the contract says. But if there's a good faith argument, then having clear-cut, easy-to-understand, simple English uh, that isn't overly complicated with technical gobbledygook is helpful. Um, you know, if you can point to a document and say, look, this is what the contract says about our particular problem, and it's clear what the parameters are and the ground rules are and how things are supposed to be done and be resolved, uh, that will likely help you to get it resolved. Um, there's always outside of the contract factors like, you know, how much do you trust the person you're working for? Have you been getting paid all along? Do you think they're dealing in good faith? And by the same token, you know, the owner is going to look at the developer and go, does this person know what he or she is doing? Um, you know, the stuff we're arguing about is not really in the contract, so why do I suddenly have to pay for it? Um, what about you know all these things the developer is springing on me that are new or different or or that I didn't understand were in there? So you know both sides are going to look at each other and and to the extent they want to work it out because being in the middle of a development project and having it come to a screeching halt really isn't good for the developer who. Uh, is not going to get paid, at least for a while, um, and, and there's going to be an effect on his or her reputation. And it's not good on the owner who needs the system up and running to you know, operate their business. So um, that's a very long-winded way of saying the contract is an important tool, but having the world's greatest contract does not mean you're never going to have a problem. Right. And nobody should ever go into it with that sort of attitude. Um, so that's kind of the background yeah. of contracts. It, it sounds like, to paraphrase, communication is, is critical. You can't avoid that. And there's no bulletproof contract that, that helps uh, resolve disputes. Is that fair to say? Well, there's no bulletproof contract, but there are certain provisions in a contract that probably ought to be there because, um, you know, if you do wind up in court, you know, the, the plain language of the contract is going to be enforced. Yeah. So if you don't, if you haven't addressed certain subjects and you don't have language in a contract that addresses certain subjects, or if it's so ambiguous as to be meaningless, you, you know, then you're going to have a, a problem. I mean, all I was suggesting in the beginning was court is kind of the last option you know you mm -hmm. don't want to go there unless you really have to and when it's a smaller project it's very difficult to go to court because of the expense and time you is know when you've got a hundred million dollar contract it's a lot easier to spend money on lawyers sure. is there a fighting over things is there a, a ballpark as far as financial amounts or it might make sense to go to court i mean certainly uh, if, if you're on a whatever you, you a $200 contract, that's just not worth anyone's time, right? Is there a certain threshold? Well, 
you know, that's that's a that that's really kind of a litigation strategy question. Mm-hmm. It's not really a legal question. I mean, you can have a thousand dollar bill that it's probably not worth hiring a lawyer for to go enforce, mm-hmm. but your you know your mindset may be. Well, the other side isn't going to want to spend money on the lawyers either. So if I just file the legal papers and and put it to them, maybe they'll come to the table mm-hmm. and pay me something reasonable because they don't want to get involved in this either. So mm-hmm. uh, I I don't think there's some magic number. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it, the analysis is how pig-headed is the other side? How much do I really think I'm right? Uh, how much do I need the money? What can I afford to do on my own without paying for a lawyer? Mm. And um, and how good is my contract? You know, if 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 it's you know good on the subject that's in dispute, um, you're more likely to do something about it. Right. How often, in, in your experience, have you seen uh, these types of? Uh, I wouldn't know if it's a court case per se, but when disagreements arise. How often is it in this gray area? It seems to me like that would probably be the majority of the cases where there's something that was maybe defined questionably or not defined at all. You know, I think um, there's kind of two answers to that. I think that most disputes when you're dealing with people in good faith are honest disputes about ambiguities Mm -hmm. or misunderstandings. When you're dealing with people that aren't acting in good faith, then from the developer side, it's sort of, uh, you know, am I getting screwed? And from the owner's side, it's am I getting screwed by right. not, you know, I've got somebody incompetent or somebody who's not doing what I thought they were going to do. Right. So um, it, it really sort of depends, you know, but to make things a little more concrete for your developer audience... Um, I think, and and you may disagree with this, but I think there's kind of two main concerns. One we've alluded to, you know, we spent a lot of time about, you know, dropping the nuclear bomb and going to court. That's pretty unusual for Mm -hmm. lots of different reasons. Mm -hmm. But developers have a legitimate concern about getting paid. Mm. And so the question is, can the contract help you get paid? Mm -hmm. And the answer to that is yes. It's Mm -hmm. not a guarantee, but it can help you. The other side of the coin is what kind of exposure does a developer have when something goes wrong or when there's a misunderstanding? Um, So I'm not talking about just the network going down forever and ever, but, Mm -hmm. but, you know, the owner comes to you and says... I thought you were going to do X, Y, you know, A, B, C, X, Y, Z. And the developer says, no, I was only going to do A, B, C. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and now the developer's got at least a defensive problem about what did he or she, right. you know, sign up for. In, in my experience, I've had that manifest itself when maybe three months, six months later, I get a call saying, oh, there's a bug on this or there's a glitch. And maybe I was prepared to, to fix that when my head was in it, when I was working on it, but the client didn't get around to reviewing it or didn't spend enough time reviewing it or, or whatever. It maybe it just didn't come up for a while. So like, okay, is it on me to go in and fix that? Maybe it's something simple, maybe it's not, but timing. So I know now in my contracts, I put a, a little 
blurb in there that says, hey, like this is not a support contract. When you sign off on this, I'm expecting you to have reviewed it. And if you're signing off on it, that means I don't get these midnight phone calls three months out saying, oh, this needs to be fixed. That that would be a separate building. And, and you know, off, off the air, we've talked about some of that, uh, you, you know, in the past. Um, uh, again, there's no real perfect solution, but my view is, and, I, and I'm not trying to create a 30-page contract, and I'm not trying to make this overly legal, but I think um, when you do a contract, you should be as clear as you can uh, about what it is you're going to do, mm. what the project entails, and what it is you're not going to do. Yeah. Because you may be touching a part of a network or a part of a server or some link, uh, and and unless it's you know automatically tied to other parts of the network, you you may have nothing to do with the rest right. of the system. Right. Uh, and and I think it's very I think it's very important to be clear about what you're going to do. Now. In the real world, it isn't always so easy to do that. Right. And it isn't always so easy to put that into simple English or plain English where an owner can understand it. Mm-hmm. But um, I think you have to try to you know, put a box around, this is what you've hired me to do. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm not going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it's also, again... It doesn't work perfectly in the real world, but as you've alluded, uh, you know, in manufacturing, for example, uh, when a box of widgets or a machine gets delivered, there's standard language in those kind of contracts saying the purchaser, the owner of the uh, of the manufactured goods, has to inspect them and, and approve them. Um, you need to try and get as close to that in a development deal as you can. Now, granted, it's, you know, when you're putting in custom software or, or whatever it is you're doing, it's not so easy to just look at it and say, well, it looks okay. Right. I mean, sometimes it's got to run for a while and right. and the bugs, and there are always bugs. There are always bugs. Which we bugs. should talk about a little yeah. also. You know, the bugs are not apparent immediately, but there should be something in your documents that basically say, at some point, you've accepted this, right. and I'm not responsible right. you know, for anything that's going to happen later. There, there are two things that this makes me think of. Um, one of them is maybe more esoteric, but it, it's, it comes down to me to integrity and in communications. And I, I fault myself for this. I could think of lots of times where... Well, there's a difference between clarity and integrity. Well, by that I mean if I'm saying, hey, I will get this to you. I will call you at such and such a time. I will respond to that email. It's, it's not the L.A. response, yeah, yeah, I'll call you. It's like, no, no, I, I said I will do that. I'm going to do that. And if that is my habit in communicating with a client in a project... That's the integrity, and I think what that does for both sides is it it raises our game. So if I say I'm going to do something or answer a certain question, I'm, I'm following through on that. And that, I think, gives the client uh, some reassurance that I'm doing what I'm saying I'm going to do. Uh, you know, a, um, a developer's reputation and a developer's handshake is better than any contract I can write. Uh, and... And when you've got an ongoing 
client or customer that you've got a relationship with, that you've worked with before, that you've worked through problems with before, the odds are you're going to work through those problems. I mean, a, a lot of times where you have issues is with somebody new or relatively mm-hmm. new or or you haven't worked with them that much, you haven't had a problem that you've had to work through. Right. And, uh, you know, to make it worse, if that person is just kind of nasty or, mm. or unreasonable, you know, then you've got more of a problem, yeah. which is, you know, why the contract is there to give right. you some guidance. The second thing that I, I fault myself for, and more I, the more I do this, the better I get at this, but it, it involves devoting enough time to the project to spec it out because there are often many, uh, maybe it's forms, pages, scripts, bits of that project which aren't immediately obvious but they need to be there for that to ship out the door well you know that that's a problem in software development i mean you can get hired on a job and you know basically you're kind of be told what it is they're looking for but you don't really know what that entails until you open up you know the servers um it's, you know, in our past conversations, I often make a lot of analogies to uh, construction things. Uh, it's a good analogy. You know, you can, you can sign a contract to build a house, but every standard construction contract says that we don't really know what's in the soil. We don't know if there's contamination. We don't know mm-hmm. if the building will fall down because the soil is mm-hmm. crappy. Uh, we don't know what kind of foundation we've got to put in. Uh, you, you know, we reserve the right to modify the contract if we open it up and, sure. and there's a problem there yeah. and the conditions are unusual or different yeah. from what we expected or different from normal. Yeah. Um, you know, the answer may be that you, you have to walk away from that job because the owner won't pay you for right. how much more it's going to cost. So, them. But somehow... You need in a development contract to to say, uh, unless it's a very simple kind of hourly kind of job, but if it's a custom deal, uh, you need to say there's, and, and you know, the owners don't like to pay for this, but you, you really need to say, I need some time to see what's going on with your network and your system so I, I can tell you what I need to do. Mm-hmm to do what you want right. um, because you can, you know, I, I'm, I'm hesitating a little bit because if, if it's the kind of custom thing that you've done 300 times before, maybe you know, but inherent in the definition of custom is that every one of these jobs is a little different right. and you really know, you really don't know what you're going to have to do right. until you get in there a little bit. So no owner, no owner wants a developer to come back and say, well, now I've had a chance to take a look, and it's going to be forty thousand dollars more. Right, right. But by the same token, you can't start a project where it's going to take forty thousand dollars more of your time, mm-hmm. and you didn't bid that out. Right, that's so exactly it, the problem. You know, you have to find a happy medium, so, and, and sometimes, you know, it depends how good you are as a developer and how much experience you have, but. You know, you really have to say, I need a few hours to poke around and look and yeah. see if this is going to 
be as easier yeah. or if it's going to be difficult? So on larger projects, I devote time to that either explicitly as like, okay, this is a week of exploratory poking around. And, and that might be a completely separate invoice just saying, look, we're going to check this thing out, get it up on the lift. If you're a mechanic, you can look at stuff, see what's you know under the hood. Well, when's the last time your auto mechanic gave you a price without even looking at the car? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, so it's a problem because you don't want to come back with a big surprise. But, right. but you know, I, I've certainly, you know, we're really downgrading this. I'm talking about electricians, plumbers, you know, <laughs> people that come to your house. But, you know, the plumber will tell you it's going to cost you 100 20 bucks for me to come out to the house and look yeah. or they're going to or or if they don't put it that way they're going to say there's there's a $120 charge for me to drive from the shop to your house right. because that kind of includes the look see right. right. uh, the last time I took my laptop in to get it cleaned up you know I paid a $60 analysis fee right now and that's just my crummy little individual laptop. I mean, right, I mean right. when you're talking about a network that may have God knows how many servers or God knows how difficult the custom uh, design is that they want, you, you know, the look-see is going to be more complicated. Yeah, yeah. So, so you don't want to lose your customer and you, and you don't want to, you know, you don't want to have to say to them, I can't tell you what this is going to cost. But the flip side is... You know, you, you don't want to agree to a price and then find out that that it's just infinitely more complicated yeah. or infinitely more expensive to you, uh, you know, than you were expecting. So you need to have something in your contract that allows you to do that and get paid for some of it. And, and you know, then it depends how comfortable you are. I mean, either you put in a walk away, you know, pay us for our time, and if we can't do it for the price we think we we previously thought we could do it we walk away or or we just eat it because the rest of the contract's worth it to us right but you, you have to address that subject somehow. right and what i've noticed just in talking to other developers is the the less experienced developers tend to get stuck on the hook for these albatross projects yeah and they just grind through hours and they maybe get it done but that's a bad place to be as a developer, but also it, it's bad for the other developers because it kind of teaches clients that, oh, I can do this for this much money, and really it's not a true representation of what it takes. Well, that's another subject that's not unique to computer software right. developers or right. however you want to define yourself. Mm -hmm. um, nobody likes turning down business, but there are some jobs if you've been around for a while, you know you ought to walk away yeah. from. Yeah. You, you, you just, you, you know, people will will take jobs that are a little bit of a reach beyond their skill and experience level. And I'm not saying you should never do that. I mean, that's how you get better is so to you stretch yourself a little bit. Right. And, right. But, you know, if you're taking a, a job or a project that you really know is outside of your wheelhouse and, and you're really not qualified to do it um, you really got to think about taking that and, yeah. and frankly more important than that is if you get hired by a company where your liaison or the project manager or the owner I, you know, I'm, 
I'm kind of agglomerating owner to mean a lot of different people. But, you know, if you've got a bad feeling about your customer, you need to think about walking. Yeah. Um, Because there's just nothing worse than having a nightmare a day. Oh, my gosh. uh, And having them mad at you all the time and not getting paid. And then they want to sue you on top of that. So I had one night. I'll share one nightmare story I had. And this literally could go on clients from hell, which is a fun website for (laughs) freelancers in the tech profession. But this person, I think was legitimately, uh, like split personalities, like would be effusive praise one minute. And then the next minute, just bitter criticisms, like nasty stuff in places where it didn't belong, like in the bug tracker. And that's just weird. Like usually that's just, you know, who, what, where, when, all the details so I can reproduce the problem and fix it. And, and this person would get in there and just be nasty and then flip around like, oh, you're the best developer I've ever. And, and you know, the first time it kind of caught me off guard and then like, oh, that was a fluke. But wow, I should have walked then because it got so stressful that I think it was $20,000, something like that. And, and at, at the time, I just remember feeling so stressed out. I thought this is worth every penny just to shove it and walk. Well, some people are difficult, and sometimes it's a negotiating tactic. You know, some, sometimes yeah. it's a way of something. I should have followed my instincts on that because this person was not, eventually, um, you know, things we did get things finished, but it, it was not worth it any price for that amount of stress. So let let but let's you know we're we're sort of having these big universal discussions about. Be, and, and I guess you can't avoid it because, again, not everybody's going to go to court on stuff, right. even though I'm the legal discussion. But in the real world, you want to get paid and you and you don't want to have something come here, back to bite you. So here's we should talk I, about that a little bit. Here's a, let me get specific here because maybe you can weigh in on this. Because what I did on this, because eventually this person didn't pay for an item. It was outstanding. And it wasn't a whole lot remaining. But... Communications eventually stopped, even with the people that this person was involved with who were not working for this company. So it was like maybe a, another consultant that had worked for them. So all these things just started, the communications all went dead. And I hadn't gotten paid on this. And they had this site hosted somewhere. And, and other people had contributed to the site. But eventually I logged in. They tried to lo- block me. But I was able to sort of circumvent their their attempts. So I, I basically got in a back door of the site and I went in and took all that code, which probably over, I think it was over a year and a half, probably was maybe forty, fifty thousand $50,000 worth of code. And th- since they hadn't paid, I think it was a $500 bill at the end. I just took it all. I deleted it all. And what happened? Didn't hear a word. Well, that's a topic, a topic that we could spend an hour talking about because <laughs> I don't know if that you, was legal. Because but like you, can, you, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. Had they had they emailed me, I know it was risky, but like had they emailed me and just you know, for God's sake, pay the the stupid thing. But but let's let's talk about it on a general level. Yeah, we we don't have much time. But that's but, but maybe my example but, but, something but the, not to do. But the you know the subject that you're raising and you may not realize you're raising it and again I'll make an analogy to manufacturing a widget 
the question you're raising is who owns that code mm. and at what time does it get transferred? Right. I mean, do you own it until you get paid? Does the owner own it the second right. you insert it into their system? Uh, who bears the risk of loss? Right. You, you know, until it's completed. Right. Those are, it's easier to understand when you're talking about. I manufacture coffee cups and I'm putting them on a I'm putting them on a truck and I'm sending them over to my customer and while I'm shipping it the the truck is in an accident and all the cups are destroyed. Mm -hmm. Who bears that loss? Is it is it me as a manufacturer or is it the owner? Uh, does it depend on it Oof. probably depends on what the right. <laughs> it probably depends on what the contract says and those are standard provisions in a contract. Right, right. So um, I, I don't see that very often in software contracts, but if you want to maintain rights in it, you're probably a lot safer off saying that. And by the same token, you know how the bank takes a mortgage on your house? Right. So it's your house, but they've got a lien on it? Right. Uh, there are lots of people in business who will take a lien on their products until un, until they get paid. And at least they have the arguable right to take them back. Right. So, you know, I'm not suggesting that always works in terms of software or you yeah. even should do it. Right. Because there's, there's, you know, the, the other side of the coin is you can load up your contract with so many things that piss off your customer <laughs> that, you, you know, you're just starting off on the wrong foot. Right, but right. I, I think at a minimum, and I think inexperienced and, and you know, not really solvent uh, developers do this a lot, uh, you know, you, you, you sort of either have to get a down payment. We've already talked about having something in there in the contract or getting paid for some amount of initial exploratory work. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be a million hours, but there ought to be something for that. Right. And then there ought to be either a down payment or there ought to be something that says, you know, within three weeks or a month or whatever, you, you're going to make some kind of mm -hmm. payment. Milestones saying. And, and just like in building a house where, and I don't know how much you know about you know, the financing, building a house or a building or something. But there's progress payments. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes they're just based on the calendar and sometimes they're based on milestones. You know, when when this part of the custom writing or designing is done, you get paid X number of dollars. And, and if you don't have that and if you're waiting to get paid till the end, uh, you're you're really very much at risk. Um, I, I, you know, again, I think I've said five times now. The most important thing is how honorable is the person you're dealing with. But mm -hmm. you know, in in every custom software uh, project that I've ever seen or been involved in or been the lawyer on, and, and you said it a minute ago, there are always bugs. So it's never perfect because right. it's never perfect on day one because it's custom. Right. Um, if well, just if you're waiting till the very end to get paid and there's bugs, you are risking having a, a problem. Yeah. That's a lot different from I didn't get my last five hundred dollars. Right. I mean, if you're right. going to have a problem two months into it, you're better off knowing it two months than a, a year and a half. So right. Right. 
right. you know, you got to think about how right. am I going to get paid? And, right. and then just because I'm not sure how much time we have, um, there are provisions that you can put into a contract to try to protect yourself. Uh, you know, the nightmare scenario is there's a glitch in a billing or inventory or cash management program or whatever it is. And, and the owner or customer comes back to you and says, we, we've been shut down for two weeks. This, this is costing me $300,000 because of what you did. Right. Um, yep. Yeah, you know, it's not just like you need to fix this little glitch and I'm not going to pay another $2,000 to fix it. Right. The nightmare scenario is the whole company goes down. Right. Um, you need to have language in your contract that limits what you're going to be responsible for. Right. I mean, if you breach the contract and you don't do a good job with the software, and again, it can be difficult to define what the software is supposed to do and, right. and how you know it's working and everything else, but, right. but we'll come back to that. But, but if you leave yourself open for an unlimited number of exposures, uh, that's not only very risky, it's stupid. Yeah. And, and most... You know, most well-written contracts will put a limit on what kind of damages you can be responsible for. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, here's another example. You, you design some sort of GPS system that goes on a, uh, you know, long-haul truck so they can keep an eye on their trucker and... Uh, and, and it doesn't work right, and the trucker drives more more hours than he or she's supposed to and winds up in an auto accident and wipes out a family and kills them all. Right. And, uh, and you get told it's your fault right. because the trucking company couldn't stop the guy from driving. Right. I mean, those are not likely scenarios, but that's how bad it can get. Right. So... You know, you need to limit. You need to limit the big exposures. Yeah. Now, in the real world, your problems are going to be. This doesn't quite work right. It doesn't quite work right. fast oh. enough. It doesn't quite have all the features I expected to have. Right. It's right. not a gigantic catastrophe. Um, but that's why, you know, I think. And 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 every developer kind of does it differently. I mean, some people just say, "Here it is. I'm done." You know, call me if there's a couple of minor fixes, I'll fix it, and it's all based on a handshake. And if that works, that's great. But a lot of times you will say, I am substantially completed, and um, here it is, and you need to run it in the next two weeks. And if there are problems with it, I'll work that out with you. And uh, if you don't call me back in the next two weeks or in the next month or in the next 60 days or whatever it is, You've accepted it, um, and it's yours. Yeah. Um, and you know, don't call me with a problem, um, yeah. and don't call me if I haven't been paid in full. Right. So, and you never want to be in a situation. Now I'm backtracking. You know, you never want to be in a situation where you're owed six months worth of money, and now they're not going to pay you because they're not happy with something on the back right. end. Right. Right. Um, but I. In my perfect world, which doesn't happen very often, the owner signs off on the project. The owner says, I accept that this is substantially complete. I accept that I'm going to run this for a couple of weeks. I accept that uh, if I don't call you, it's done. 
Uh, in my really perfect world, they uh, they've run it for sixty days, and they sign you know they wouldn't sign something saying I'm absolutely satisfied, but they sign something close to that. Mm-hmm. Now, whether you can get all that all the time, probably not. But you should have things of that nature that are not quite as in your face in your right, contract. Right. I mean, you, you want to have a good relationship with uh, with your customer, but those are the kind of things where you, you run into problems. I right. mean, there's a problem on the back end and they claim you didn't do it right or you didn't do something that was part of the deal uh, or it doesn't work right or you know, you've wrecked some other part of the network or they've got completely unexpected and remote and unanticipated injuries because of something that you've done. Um, those kind of things you, you need to try and protect yourself against. And sophisticated business people are used to seeing those kind of provisions in a contract. Yeah. Most of the problems, and I, and I don't mean to repeat myself, are not going to be that huge. Right. And in most of the cases, you're going to be able to work things out. Right. But the contract, as I think I said at the very beginning, you know, the, the technical language of of the custom project is just going to be technical. But everything else in it, you got to forget you're a developer and you're a computer geek and whatever, and you got to try and say it in plain English so that when the dispute arises, you, you can look to a document that clearly says, here's my rights, here's my obligations, here's what I've agreed to do, here's what I haven't agreed to do, here's what you've agreed to do, mm-hmm. here's what you haven't agreed to do, this is how we're going to work out our problems, this is the procedure for problem resolution. Um, if that's all in shorthand that only another developer can understand and a judge or a lawyer or an arbitrator or even your customer doesn't know what the hell you're talking about, you got a problem. Yeah, So. Despite the fact that I'm a lawyer, I don't believe in 90-page contracts unless it's a 90-page deal. And, and uh, I don't believe in putting stuff in a jargon and legal gobbledygook that nobody can understand. Yeah. I mean, the way you avoid problems is just to speak in simple, plain English. Yeah. Well, I think that covered my follow-up question here was about recommendations that you would have for freelancers, in this case developers, and uh, I think we've covered some good ground here. I hope, I hope this is uh, useful to other people who are in positions like myself. I think it is. Well, if you get feedback, I mean, this was a very general kind of yeah. overview. I, I mean, I'd be happy to come back and, and um, that, you know, I guess answer any more specific questions that I've got. And uh, I guess, not to make too big a pitch, but if somebody wants to contact me after... Hearing this, my name is Harold Laufer. Uh, my phone number is 949-355-5649. That's 949-355-5649. And my email is Laufer, L-A-U-F-E-R, LauferBizLaw at gmail.com. Great. So it's been a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, and, thank you so much. Uh, I hope it helps some of your audience. Yeah. I'm sure it will. All right. right. Thanks so much.